We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is our review of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She's one of the best investigators I have. But? She's different. Uh, in what way? In every way. Something wrong with the report? Anything you chose not to disclose. He's clean, in my opinion. He's honest. Her credibility isn't dead yet. Mine is. He's had a long-standing sexual relationship with his co-editor of the magazine. Sometimes he pleasures her. Not often enough, in my opinion. No, you're right not to include that. I need your help. You come stay on the island. A way of avoiding all those people you might want to avoid right now. You will be investigating thieves, misers, bullies, the most detestable collection of people that you will ever meet. My family. This is Harriet. Someone in the family murdered Harriet. And for the past 40 years, has been trying to drive me insane. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and the story is as follows. Disgraced financial reporter Mikael Blomqvist finds a chance to redeem his honor after being hired by wealthy Swedish industrialist Henrik Wagner to solve the 40-year-old murder of Wagner's niece, Harriet. Wagner believes that Harriet was killed by a member of his own family. Eventually joining Blomqvist on his dangerous quest for the truth is Lisbeth Salander, an unusual but a genius investigator whose fragile trust is not easily won. The film is starring Daniel Craig, Rudy Mara, Christopher Plummer, Stellan Skarsgård, Stephen Burkoff, Robin Wright, Yorick Van Wegnernen, Yoli Richardson. It is directed by David Fincher, and it is written by Stephen Zalian. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nadia Dalabonte. Hi, everyone. Lauren Cohen. Matt, I want you to help me catch a killer of women. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> Lauren LaMagna. Hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. You're right. I'm fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> so the last time that I podcast about a movie and wasn't quite sure, I lost my life savings. <laughs> but for real. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to talk about this film, mostly because it's uh, one of the few reviews that we're doing for our 2011 retrospective that was not nominated for Best Picture of the Year that it came out. It's also a very curious title in that it was originally supposed to be the first of a planned trilogy of uh, films from the Millennium Trilogy, a very, very popular series of books that had already been turned into a, a very popular uh, film that had previously come out 
uh, I think it was like, what was it? Like only a few years after, uh, prior to this, yeah, right? It was pretty close. 2009. It was like a year or two. Yeah. 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 So hot off the heels of the popularity of the books, the 2009 uh, film, which almost crashed its way into the award season race. I know it got a lot of critical acclaim and attention that year. It made a star out of Numi Rapace here in the States uh, and also um, kind of gave way to this adaptation here, uh, which led to David Fincher following up the social network a year prior. Uh, to that point, the greatest critical success run that he had had uh, with any of his films and award season too. So there was a considerable amount of hype surrounding this. You also have the casting of Daniel Craig, who uh, this is pre uh, pre Skyfall, but still James Bond leading this film. It was a Sony Pictures movie, uh, had a considerable budget at the time, close to $100 million and $90 million. It was marketed as the feel-bad movie for Christmas. Yes. And it was something that <laughs> caught a lot of people's attention with its trailer uh, that utilized a cover of The Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. The marketing for this movie was very much on point. The fan base was already there based on the popularity of the books and the 2009 film that came out years prior. So, this should have been a successful trilogy, right? This should have gone on to spawn a bunch of movies from David Fincher. Unfortunately, no. We're going to talk about this movie. We're going to talk about why it did not necessarily turn into the franchise that Sony was hoping it would become, and what has been its legacy since. So, starting off first with Lorne LaMagna. Lorne, thoughts on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Maybe back when you saw it in 2011 and have those thoughts changed over time? Well, I remember when I watched this trailer for the first time and I didn't read the book at the time and I didn't see any of the Swedish films. So I didn't know that much about it. I knew the book. My mom read the entire trilogy. It was kind of going around the moms of that time. And I saw the trailer and there was something so cool about this woman. And I just thought she was edgy and interesting and I wanted to see her story and I told my dad I want to see this movie and my dad said absolutely not and that entire season when the film was out we would have this argument about I want to see this movie and my dad saying absolutely not and then we would fight over it and then I actually snuck in to see this movie so this is one of the first films that I snuck in to see and I was I was probably 13 or 14 when this came out. So I understand why my dad was like, no way, Jose. But I did. And I thought it was absolutely insane for all the right reasons. I think this film rocks, essentially. I think it's a really good mystery thriller, which I'm not really good at guessing whodunits or anything of that nature. I like to just go with the flow of a film. So I had fun with that. I think the mystery is really captivating. I think the characters are really interesting. And I love Rooney Mara's portrayal of this character. I know it's one of those famous roles that every actress of this age wants to play. And I understand why. And I think this is one of my favorite Finchers. I just think it rocks and it just fits into what Fincher loves as a filmmaker. And I think it's a really great combination of source material and artists coming together that have combined interest and just make something that they love and I really again love this film for all that it is on a micro and macro level and I really do mourn um the trilogy that we don't have and I still um cry about Rui Mara's leaked um emails because she really wanted to do it and I really wanted to see her do it but I think this film does stand on its own and I think it's a really great um unofficial 
official Christmas movie that I love to hold near and dear to my heart. Okay. Strong words to start us off with. Strong feelings all around. Let's see if that will continue here. Next up, Nadia Dalamonte. Thoughts on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Yeah, so I I initially went into this film with a lot of oblivion when it was first released. I didn't know anything about the book or books. I didn't have a full grasp on what the story was about. I went in just purely as a David Fincher fan. So he was my gateway. Um, and I remember my first viewing of it. It just really left me thinking about how how gritty it was, how hard to watch at times it was. And my memory of it was just really dark and disturbing. And I hadn't seen it again until just a few days ago. Wow. Yeah. So it's been a long time. <laughs> and uh, especially considering the first time I saw it was around the the initial release. So it's been a while. And uh, I've forgotten just how well structured and layered it is. I think David Fincher's direction really drew me in. I think his exacting kind of nature lends itself to the material. And I think he's really good at invisible horror whether it's evil that's kind of hiding in plain sight or looking in the shadows. He just knows how, how to create an unsettling mood. It, it's, I think it's a very tense, really fascinating, well, well-made thriller. There's, there's all these consistently evolving layers to the story that I feel don't necessarily play out as a story of the genre typically would. There's, there's no kind of one big reveal. It's always followed by another and for all of those kind of various plot points and perspectives, I think Fincher really harnesses it with all this really fantastic precision from the protagonists' separate, separate storylines to how they cross paths to that final, one of the final sequences, which almost feels like how the beginning of a film would be. And it, for me, the entire film is also, it's elevated even further by Rooney Mara's performance as Lizbeth, as Lizbeth, she, I think she creates this really resonating balance of, of hurt and independence. And as she's kind of morally fighting for survival, she's one of my favorite characters. And I think the way that she becomes involved in the investigation plot is a really resonating representation as well of who she fights for and seeking justice for women. And so her character and I think Mara's portrayal of her are for me at the really at the very core of this film and the dynamic between her and, and Mikhail plays into that as well both of those characters are really fascinating and it just made me think about how usually the murder mysteries that I find really good are the ones where I'm where I find myself more invested in the characters as opposed to the case itself and this film kind of falls into that category where the character work resonates the most so i think it's one of fincher's best to the state rooney mara's best performance it's a really really great film all right lauren cohen same question thoughts from 2011 thoughts from today so i have a very vivid memory i was so excited for this movie and one day i just log into my email and out of nowhere, there was a press invite to see the girl with the dragon tattoo. It was like, a, this movie's going to be screening tomorrow. It was a month or so in advance, very out of nowhere, very speedily put together. And I have never been so excited to see something in my inbox in my entire life. I think I was sick and like, kind of like staying in, not going out at all. And I was like, oh, 
I'm willing to get sicker if it means seeing the girl with the dragon tattoo a month early. And it did not disappoint. I was a huge fan of the Stieg Larsson books. Um, I loved the previous adaptation of this film. Um, David Fincher is one of my all-time favorite directors. And I think it's so incredible what he did with this film. He really put his stamp on something that had been previously adapted and that has obviously a very well-known source material. So it shouldn't feel as fresh as it does. But this absolutely feels original in Fincher's hands. I have to say that nothing turns me into the most unhinged version of myself, like a David Fincher opening credit sequence, especially with Trent Reznor and Atticate Ross's incredible score that I can't believe wasn't nominated for Best Original Score at the Oscars. Um, another thing about this film is that um, in the book series, um, the character of Elizabeth Salander, she is very near and dear to my heart. Um, in the book, she's described as being 4'11". I'm 4'11", and it's rare that you get a, a hero of a film to be super petite. And I loved, even though Rooney Mara isn't 4'11", the fact that they had this like really petite, tiny, fucking badass, the biggest badass of any movie, was honestly so incredible to me. And her performance is out of control amazing it's my favorite Rooney Mara performance and I think it might have been um my all-time favorite performance of that year wow okay the strong vibes just keep on rolling on to the men to crash the vibes let's find <laughs> out <laughs> Josh Parham thoughts on the girl with the dragon tattoo so I definitely remember back in 2011 this material like the series of books just being a phenomenon that was so incredibly popular and I remember actually both reading those books and seeing the Swedish movies before watching this one. So I felt like I was really primed with all the research I needed going into this movie. And that was both sort of a good and bad thing because personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the books. I think that they are kind of fine for the genre that they're operating in, but they're I know, this is just my opinion, but it's a little trashy <laughs> for me. <laughs> they were, just a little bit. No, you, but, you're not wrong, Josh. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're airplane reads. Yeah, yeah, they, I mean, they they're, airport they're fiction. Thick, they're thick airplane reads, but still. Right, so reads. maybe I'm flying to uh, Sweden, you know? Exactly, yeah. no, yeah. It's for a long yeah, flight, but they're still, yeah. That's the term, airport fiction. So, like, I knew what I was sort of getting into watching the movie, but I was excited to see another David Venture film. And I would argue that this is probably the best version that you could produce of this particular material. I think that Fincher's direction, obviously that meticulous, very controlled nature he has lends itself very well to a, a mystery thriller. And I do think that he creates that atmosphere really well. I think the adaptation from Steve Zalian absolutely improves upon some of the deficiencies of the story. It is still shackled to some other problems I have with the narrative that it just can't help but include because that's just the source material. But I do think it does a good job to improve a lot of the things I think are an issue with the material. And I still find myself very compelled by the overall story that it is telling. I think that the actors that they've assembled are really good. And as I said, that atmosphere that this movie creates, I find to be very compelling. I think at the same time, there is kind of a ceiling for me with this movie because in for me, it never really crosses over into something that is sort of above what this source material actually is. And it's a pretty well put together thriller, but it never really 
goes beyond that for me. I watch it and I'm entertained. Sounds like a weird word for this movie at times with how much rape is in it, (laughs) I will admit. But like I am engaged by the storytelling. I do think that this is a very well done movie that really for me never crosses over into anything more than just being it's solid, it's watchable, and that's about it. So it's very good. I do enjoy it, but it's not something that for me is like one of the best that I have seen. It's not something I would rank particularly high in Fincher's filmography, while even still recognizing that he and his company do a pretty good job in this adaptation. Okay. All right. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Dan Bear, how about you? Oh, the journey this movie and I have gone on over the years. So I, like Josh, when this movie came out in 2011, at the end of the year, I had already read the books and seen the Swedish films. And at the time, I was uh, anticipating this movie, but was also wary of it. And most of the wary part coming from the fact that I just am automatically wary of any American adaptations of films that were originated in a foreign country that were successful here. I just automatically am. They are rarely, if ever, as good. And I, like Bang Joon-ho, have always wished people would just get over the one-inch barrier of subtitles. But apparently that's too big for some people. So, whatever. They exist. These movies exist. And that's fine. I've learned to live with them. At the time that I saw it, I, I have not watched the film since because I didn't like it. But I acknowledged the time that most of my issues with it were likely stemming from the fact that I had basically gone through this material three times in very relatively close succession. And in the book, when I, before I read the books, I was warned that you really have to grit it out for like the first 100 to 150 pages because it's really slow. And after that, it picks up. And that's absolutely true. But opening the film with that corker of a credit sequence it's it's both the best part of the movie and the worst part of it because due to the nature of the property it's adapting the film is not going to recapture the energy and aggression of that opening credits again for like another, at least another hour and a half. It's just not going to. So I was sitting there throughout the first half, third to half of this movie, just being like, oh my God, I'm so bored. When are we going to get to the good stuff? And it wasn't helped by the fact that I just was 
put off from this movie's vision of Elizabeth Salander from the very first second she appeared on screen. She is described in the books as having hair as short as a fuse, which is not just a great description. It is the complete opposite of what her hair is like in this movie. And the way her entire entrance to the film was shot, edited, conceived and put together as a whole, it read to me as a Hollywoodized bastardization of this character that I really loved on the page. And what I what really took me aback about it was how much it treated her like this larger than life character, which is a kind of not what she is, but more importantly, not at all the way she would want to be seen, especially at the start of this particular story. And that caused me to really kind of check out of the movie for a long period until it really started to pick up in the back half. Watching it now, I am able to appreciate a lot more of the craft that goes into it. I think that particularly in the first half of the movie, uh, the editing is doing absolutely as much as it possibly can to give the illusion of a fast pace through this all this exposition. It's great. The cinematography is sleek and classy and smart. The score is like mind-blowingly good. I have loved this score ever since it came ever since the movie came out, this is the one thing that I have always loved about this movie, and I continue to. I think it contributes more than anything, maybe, to the atmosphere of this. And I think that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are maybe Fincher's best, most key collaborators in this and in every single one of their collaborations together. They manage to get this score that tells you the story just as much as the images do. There are great sequences in this where no dialogue is happening, and yet you understand everything that is happening on screen. And a large part of that, of what makes it watchable, is that score, which is great. But so, yeah, watching it again, finally, after all this time, I am a little bit more positive on it than I was. But I still can't quite forgive the movie for being this Hollywoodization of this character. And I just, I, I still think that Rooney Mara is a not so great actress. I think this is proof positive of her somnambulant screen presence. I can think of so many actresses that would have been better in this part, starting with Numeria Pass, but we won't go there. Is it pretty much maybe as good as you could hope for from American version of this material? Maybe. But I don't love it and barely like it. It works. But as an adaptation, both of the novel and of the original Swedish film, I, I think it's not as good as it is a film in its own right. And I think that's where my disconnect with it mostly comes. 
as a film on its own, I think it's good. But as an adaptation of a book that I really, really like, even though it is, as Josh said, <laughs> it's not some great work of literary fiction. It's a very good kind of gussied up, cheapo serial killer thriller. But as an adaptation, it just falls short for me. And this is why I never read the book before I watch the movie. <laughs> okay. 2011. I was a big, big, big fan of David Fincher heading into this. Very, very excited coming off The Social Network, my favorite film of 2010. Still one of my favorite films of all time. Went into this with a tremendous amount of hype. No press screening for me, though, Lauren. It's funny, though. Those late December releases without Fall Film Festival uh, you know, pla uh, platforms, they, they traditionally do get screened sometime in November, usually around the Thanksgiving holiday. So when you said you got the invite a month early, I was like, yeah, I got that this year with Babylon. I was like, I was just like <laughs> thinking back on that. <laughs> but I saw this in a theater uh, around Christmas time, I remember. And I have to admit, I was taken aback by it, maybe because... I was just riding this wave of adoration for David Fincher with The Social Network, so much so that heading then into this movie, I don't know if I was expecting this to just be another slam dunk masterpiece. Also, too, you got to remember, Seven, Zodiac. Fincher has been in this territory before, and some would argue uh, to better effect. I, I don't think there's really that much of a debate if you were to put these three films side by side you know his quote-unquote serial killer movies and you ask people which ones are the best that they would probably say the other two more so than this one but i do think i don't remember who said it earlier but whoever said that i think it was nadia the characters of Mikael and lisbeth are just so fascinating and I love that this movie keeps them apart for so long and builds up both of them separately that by the time they do come together, as Dan was saying, that's when the movie really does start to pick up because you've invested time in getting to know each one of them. Now, when they come together, the film just has a new dynamic that's much more interesting to follow. Of course, Fincher is such a technical wizard. I mean, the sleekness, the attention to detail... The way that the editing, the cinematography, the sound, everything just down to the smallest minute detail is so perfectly calibrated to engross you in this procedural investigative murder mystery. After a while, it, it stops really being about the, oh, like who, who did the murder like aspect and it really does boil down to these two characters more so than anything. I don't think it's perfect, and I definitely don't rank it amongst Fincher's better works, but I very much do love this movie, so much so that even on this latest viewing, I still found myself thinking about it in ways that I hadn't thought about it previously before. There's a lot of subtle layering to this movie, and I do wonder if over time, uh, a lot of this film's themes, especially the way that it depicts violence, misogyny, uh, towards women and how the Elizabeth Salander ca uh, character is, I think, more so than anything meant to be that symbol, Dan, in this movie. I, I really do think that, I, like, I can understand how, on one hand, 
you would want maybe a presentation of the character that was as layered as what you might read in a book. But here, I do think that she is meant to come across more as a symbol and someone that I think does represent a very angry, smart, capable, ferocious individual that women can look to to express their frustration and anger towards how men have treated them for decades, centuries. So in that regard, I think The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is still a very strong film. Um, I do not think it's a all-timer or anything like that. So those are my initial thoughts. Uh, let's dive into some particulars here, starting off first with Rooney Mara and her casting uh, at the time. She really was, uh, for all intents and purposes, mostly an unknown, you know, when you look at her filmography up until that point, uh, she had the year before a breakout year with The Nightmare on Elm Street and The Social Network, uh, but this was like, you know, she's the face of this movie, and she, to this day even, when I look at like the rest of her filmography, some very strong performances in there, but this is the most I've ever seen Rooney Mara lose herself in a character and actually transform on screen and become someone different than the person you would see giving talk show interviews and things of that nature. Like I, to me, when I watch this movie, I don't really feel like I see Rudy Mara. I do feel like I see someone totally different. Well, yeah, because they bleached her eyebrows. I'm not talking on that level though, Dan, come on. It's also the accent work. It's also the way. Oh that my she... God. The accent is so bad. Uh, I mean, that's not just true of her. I think that's true of for Daniel Craig too. frankly, the choice to do like a half natural accent, half Swedish accent is just weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> you could detect an accent. I couldn't. Craig basically did away with it after the first five or 10 minutes when he realized it wasn't working. But Mara decided to stick with it. And, you know, um, A for effort. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our 2011 review for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the over two and a half hour long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment, and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.